You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This episode number 307, we're discussing the book of the Mandalorian and the status of Star Wars collecting. I'm one of your hosts, Tim. And I'm Carlos. And guys, no, that's not a spoiler for episode five. I think everyone knows what happened in episode five. And yes, we are going to talk about Star Wars in general in this episode. It's a Star Wars-centric episode. We have not dug deep into... The Mandalorian in a couple episodes, I should say, The Book of Boba Fett. My bad. Sorry, guys. And also, we're going to have a bit of a sequel to last week's collecting discussion where we broke down with Ian the scales of collecting, and we're going to move over and focus on two particular scales, the three three-quarter inch and the six-inch, that collector scale in Star Wars. And guys, you know what? We cannot have this type of discussion without bringing in a little bit of a ringer, bringing in one of our good friends. So I'd like to welcome back to the show our friend, the host of Tumbling Saber Podcast, Kyle, man. Welcome back to the Nerd Room. It smells great here in the Nerd Room. It smells like craft beer and mahogany. What do you, Tim, what do you, you've made some upgrades in we here. We have, man. man. It's been a minute since you've been here. And yeah, as you can tell from seeing around you, we've made some upgrades. We've invested some of that YouTube money into the podcast here. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but go subscribe. Thank you, algorithm. <laughs> go subscribe to our YouTube channel. No, Kyle, welcome back. It's always a pleasure to have you here in the nerd room. And we wanted to bring uh, a little bit of expertise, like I said, into the room to have these discussions because there was this pivotal, monumental episode of the book of Boba Fett. And spoiler alert, we're not gonna, we're gonna take the cuffs right off this one. We're going straight into it, guys. But this was really a interlude, a prelude to Mandalorian season three. And we're gonna talk all about this episode in all its glory but also its impact on the book of Boba Fett and maybe on the character of Boba Fett and what Disney and Lucasfilm are trying to do with that character, progressing him into the Star Wars cinematic universe. And we're also going to break down a little bit of what's happening inside of Star Wars collecting. There's a bit of a big shift. I think we're at a pivotal moment for collectors here. You know, we've got three big Star Wars collectors at the table and we're going to talk about what's going on with Hasbro, what's going on with the Black Series, the Vintage Collection, and try to dig a little deeper into where collectors are at, where the mindset is at, because I think we all share a, a common issue right now, and that's the price and, and how collecting is going in the world of Star Wars. So we're going to talk all about that in this episode, and of course, we're going to spend some time in our weeks in nerd and talk about what we picked up what we're collecting of course and uh, what we're reading what we're watching so without further ado gentlemen let's get into it let's get straight into this week in nerd all right this is our weekly news segment everyone where we break down the latest and greatest in the world of nerd and this week it's been a quiet week again but we're gonna focus solely on star wars here we got a lot of exciting things coming up with Obi-Wan, with Cassian. There's a lot on the horizon for Star Wars. But in the moment, it's all about the book of Boba Fett. And all the talk, all the chatter online was, was all about the Mandalorian this past week. A shocker for me that this episode 
was in front of us for episode five. I was a little bit behind, a little bit, you know, I was out of the loop, guys. I got to tell you, I did not expect what we saw here. So, Carlos, and you're, you're quiet over there in the corner here. I want, I want to hear your thoughts here because I saw, I saw a DM from you without having seen the episode yet, and you talked about this being a glorious diversion from the book of Boba Fett. So, so why, what, what about this episode was so great? Tell me, tell me, enlighten me. Man, I uh, I loved what was the season three premiere episode of The Mandalorian <laughs> because I am convinced that that's what it was. The way this thing looked, the way it was shot, and just the fact that the story was so laser focused mm-hmm. on where Din Djarin has been since we last saw him in season two of The Mandalorian that I, I I'm having a hard time believing that when they were constructing the book of Boba Fett that they were like, yeah, episode five, our big pivot episode towards the climax of this thing is going to be solely focused on Mando. And we'll just essentially have this stinger at the end of it with Fennec going to engage him. So I I don't know. It could be just a conspiracy theory on my part, but I would not be shocked to find out weeks, months, years from now that this was actually supposed to be the season three premiere episode for Mando and they parachuted into the book of Boba Fett as they were constructing things. Weirder things have happened. Like mm-hmm. I, maybe it's cause I watched Titans and they're always chopping off the last episode <laughs> of one season and sticking it on the front of the next one. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it is what it is. I adored it though. Yes. Beginning to end. Like it just, it looks spectacular. It touched all sorts of, cool stuff from the the world and the history of Mandalore and where things are going with him, kind of his journey, where he's at as a character, trying to find himself again. And uh, yeah, how can I not love seeing that uh, Naboo Starfighter come back into the fray as the episode one apologist that I am. So, oh, uh, me too, man. I'm here for it. I'm here for it all day, that episode one love. Bryce Dallas Howard brought it this was a love letter to the prequels to what was done inside of that animated clone war series there's so much in here and all organic to me all in the right ways down to just the appearance of certain droids from star tour like there was there's so much embedded and layered into this that a second third watching you you only begin to appreciate it more and more and i like your theory about this being a a season three opener, but I do think that this was always planned to be And Kyle. You have to correct me here. It's always planned to be seven episodes of book of Boba Fett, correct? The six episodes of Boba Fett and then <laughs> season three opener. for It's Mando. a weird number of episodes <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah, right. Which kind of builds into my theory. In, the, in their typical patented fashion, Lucasfilm is always clear as yeah. mud. <laughs> and they, I don't recall them ever confirming how many episodes this show was. And seven is such a mm-hmm. weird number. It was it was up so, on I believe I looked it up maybe episode two or three. We were having discussion, maybe episode three, and there was seven episodes listed at that point in time. Okay. So again, I don't know if that's official confirmation. I don't know. It was probably on Wikipedia or something. So sources are a bit <laughs> not consistent. But that seven episode mark, it is odd, considering their Marvel series and like they're all six episodes, right? That seems to be where they want to be telling stories. And the Mando's been Mando's eight, been eight yeah. I think for two yeah. seasons. And so, yeah, it seems odd, but, but 
enlighten me a bit on on your thoughts in this episode. And if you guys want to, the Tumbling Saber crew had an awesome breakdown of the the episode. We're probably not going to go into the same depth and detail that they did, but let, for the listeners here, Kyle, thoughts on this and this really being such a love letter, a nostalgic trip, but also progressing so much forward with the Mandalorian. Well, I feel like um, you can rename Carlos and I Axe and Smash for this episode because I feel like we're going to be tag teaming <laughs> yeah. a whole lot. Now, this episode was, man, it was just everything to, to me. Like I, I, I've been up and down on the show overall, Book of Boba Fett, mm-hmm. that is. Uh, it's been the episodes that I've liked, I've really liked, and the ones that I've been okay with. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they've been okay. It's I don't think it's been a a, a super even paced ride no. across the board. Uh, so, yeah, but this episode was fantastic. I mean, it it just like you said, it was a love letter to episode one to almost all things Star mm-hmm. Wars. I mean, I don't know they didn't really touch the sequel trilogy because obviously they're previous to that, but they just had so much reverence for some of the stuff that's going on. And as I, you know, I watched it a second time and then as we recorded, I'm like, you know, that was really great. And we're all sort of indulging in this marinating in this awesome episode of Mando who's within two years has become so Mm -hmm. iconic in the franchise and going, how often can they do this? How often can they just parachute us into this soup of, of star Wars love and just have a soak in, in the juices of things that we already know and are comfortable with. Because mm-hmm. we keep saying, give us new stories. Start a new chapter. I don't think we actually Break want Break away that. from these. <laughs> but then, right. So then we get this kind of episode and we're just like, oh, right into my veins, <laughs> baby. Like, do we really want new? Can Star Wars fans handle new? Because every time we get the old, we turn into little puddles. Mm-hmm. It, it's true. But yeah, I loved it. Loved it to death. You need something new and then it needs to get destroyed for 10 years yeah. and once the the next generation embraces it then everybody's kumbaya yeah well it's 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 taking pieces right like i think the animated has done like it wasn't for everyone and not everyone watched it but they're plucking a lot and really the mandalorian a lot of the lore and the exposition that they set with the armor to set up what will inevitably be, be a return to mandalore i believe with the dark saber they're they're pulling so much out of the Clone Wars in that era to seed something so much bigger. I think it's driving people back, right? And then you have so much to pull from in there, whether it's visual, whether it is just an exposition, whether it's thoughts, ideas. There's so much to mine there that not a lot of people have seen, but then the people that love it, that are in it, that grew up with it, are benefiting from it in the same way that I did personally for the episode one, going to Beggar's Canyon, really him taking that N1 Starfighter and running it through the pod race and saying things like wizard and the pole that they put in there that was the one that Luke held up in the Death Star to hold the, the trash compactor apart. Like touches like that are so meaningful. But it goes back to what you're saying, Kyle, is that it's it's about referencing the old. But what this episode does is it does that and it also progresses the Mando story. Mando made more leaps in this episode than Boba has in the previous four, in my opinion. There was more yeah. story, more seating. You can make that case for sure. There was, there's more done in this space of time. And this is the Mandalorian. The one thing that I think it really benefits from is super economic storytelling. They're here, they're there. They have a couple down episodes, but ultimately it's all pointing at something much grander where. I think the book of Boba Fett has spent a lot of time trying to reframe Boba Fett. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, what I mean specifically about that. But we got to gush about this episode a little bit more. 
but even to your point with the with the storytelling and the journey you go on, you actually go on a on a character mm-hmm. progression with Din from where he's at at the beginning of the episode yeah, huge. to what his mindset is at the end of the episode. And they just have little sprinklings of Grogu in there, but he kind of makes some big fundamental changes to the way he does business and how he's going to proceed going forward over the course of that episode. And I just don't think that we've got that with Book of Boba Fett. It's like they kind of started and they're like, this is the story we're telling you. But they've never really got their feet under them with some forward momentum, at least for me, where I've mm-hmm. like, I still don't know why the hell he wants Jabba's throne. Why does that guy specifically want to be a crime boss on Tatooine? Because it seems incongruent with where he was at in the Mandalorian season two. And then it seems similarly inconsistent with the journey he went on through being with the Sam people. And like, correct Mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong, like maybe I'm just not seeing something that everybody else is picking up on. But like, I think that's where the book of Boba Fett part of this is all broken is you don't really understand the why for the character. And even like historically, he was just a guy that operated in and around Jabba the Hutt's empire, right? So there's nothing seated there where you'd, you'd kind of draw that line as to this is why this guy is making that play. It just, and I think that because they haven't set up a firm foundation, everything else is kind of in sand with mm-hmm. where they're taking the show. I think like with Star Wars, a lot of times they count on fans bringing what they know of the franchise and of the, of the characters to the show to underpin what they're doing. And sometimes it doesn't work. And in this show, I'm with you, Carlos. The challenge for me in this show is figuring out Boba's why. People, I'm like, like, what is his challenge in this show? Why does he want to be the boss? Well, or what is the point of the show is kind of my question. Mm-hmm. Well, he wants to be the boss. That's not enough. That's not enough. Why? What is his motivation? Well, because want, who wants to be, everybody wants to be boss. Why? Mm-hmm. What's the why for Boba Fett? And I don't think we've gotten that yet. And I'm starting to think the why is the MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. And that's, is that a dangerous way to play a show? Because we're five episodes through out of seven. Who's the bad guy? That's I, the, it's... the Pikes? <laughs> no, thank you. Probably not. So, um, uh, is the the reveal at the end is going to be the bad the, who's the puppet master at the end? That's a well worn Star Wars trope. It wouldn't shock me, but that you know string people along for a couple of months, you know that they, they know their audience, right? So they they know that we live for this sort of suspense and and being teased. But it's a very unconventional way to make a show. Like they seem mm-hmm. to be making it with the specific intention of stringing fans along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when I look at this, because I look at this in two ways, right? Because Mandalorian, the first episode, we're given a reason, right? We're given a why he's going on a journey. We're given an emotional attachment with Grogu. And you have a whole bunch of badass stuff happening in the background. And then you see this character go. And even like you said, Carlos, in this one episode, he goes from basically stepping back into, oh, I need to be the Mandalorian I was before Mm -hmm. when they're talking about the helmet stuff and all this. And then he quickly emerges and, and moves past that with the dark saber and, and the work that they do with that and his inability to wield it and what it means for Mandalore. I had with this running assumption that he was going to go straight off with Bo-Katan and they're going to try to figure out Mandalore together. And that's his path. That's his, his, his adventure, but it seems that they've gone a different way. 
which is interesting to me. And when I look at Boba Fett, I ask the same question. I don't know what's going on. I feel like that we're explaining all the little in-between stories, but we don't really have a clear path as to, to what's going on with him. And honestly, my honest opinion on why we have the Boba Fett show right now is to make a brand new hero for Star Wars. That's it. That's to get him out of the gray zone into hero mode because with the sequel trilogy characters in Carbonite, the OT characters somewhat unusable because they have definitive ends and you know Luke is a cameo guy unless they recast. Who are our heroes right now in Star Wars? The Mandalorian? And the Rebels crew eventually and Ahsoka down the road. But who who are we putting up against this huge rogue gallery of villains? The Pikes, the the Malls of the world. I guess not in this so much because that's a more of a solo thing. What's his criminal empire? The syndicate there that he has. Um, Crimson Dawn. Dawn. Yeah. You've got the Huts. You've got all this going on. And I, I honestly think this show is a transition show to move Boba Fett into a space where he can be considered on the level of Mandalorian, on a, like a Luke Skywalker, maybe not the same level, but see in the same light as the clear division between good and bad. Because these guys sit in a little gray space, but I would say based off of, I think, all of our children's reactions to the Mandalorian, this guy is seen as the Luke Skywalker of this generation, as the hero in this universe. And they need more of those people. And Fett seemed to be the one they're serving up to doing that. And so this whole show has been a slow roll transition of making this character softer, making this character more relatable by showing his face, making him have more empathy, not being so hard-lined and just shoot and ask questions later type thing. Like they've moved away from a lot of the things that people wanted from Boba Fett, I think. And we now have this guy that is fundamentally different and they're trying to give an in-story reason for his movement. But I, I honestly think it is the reason why is to make him a hero. But I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm interested uh, to that, hear thoughts. That makes a lot of sense because, I mean, they literally in the first scene of the first episode, they have him pop out of the sand. It's a visual metaphor of a rebirth. Mm -hmm. And then they stick him for five years with the Tuscans and they completely invert the way he lives. He's not a loner. He's with people. He learns to care. He learns mm -hmm. to have respect for other people. And, you know, like we've talked about in the last few minutes, like the show's been sort of a hit and miss. Mm -hmm. And if they're not careful, like I, I don't know that they get to season two with this. I mean, maybe they do because they want to and they're going to ram it through. But the reception's not been super hot. It's not been the white hot reception that Mando gets. Probably not even close. And so, you know, I have to imagine that they push through with their plan anyway and do yeah. season two and tell the full story regardless. But yeah, no, Tim, I, I tend to agree with you. I think that they are setting him up to be some sort of uh, anti-hero at worst mm -hmm. or yeah. just straight up hero. At, you know, at you know, Maybe that's their full on wish is to make Boba Fett a hero, which mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the best decision, but. Hey, I'm, I'm here for it. Let's go. Let's see what they can do. Yeah, I thought they kind of had him in a good spot with, in that regard, with him having the heroic trappings and being a guy with a code with how they were playing him in Mando season two. But then this progression and this kind of tale 
it, it almost seems like a bridge too far. Like it's too much of a departure from, okay, you have your stone cold bounty hunter guy. We need to escalate him into being a hero. So you kind of take him to that spot that he was in in Mando season two, where he's your lone wolf or him and him and Fennec are uh, out there. And you've established that he has, he now has a moral compass and he has a bit of a code. And I think that's like an interesting story, but I, I just, I'm befuddled as to where they're going with this particular story mm-hmm. with what are you trying to do with him setting up on Tatooine and especially because there's no link for him there really aside from just it being a place of business. Yeah. It is baffling as to what they're doing and I'm interested to see how they progress this because even the lengths that they've gone to, I think to make him more like soft or relatable it, it's it's gone past the Mandalorian, right? Because the Mandalorian, you go back to this episode, he's a flawed hero. He's a flawed character, right? He doesn't he, he wields this lightsaber. I he opens it up. And I think, oh, this is gonna be badass, and he hits himself with it, right? <laughs> and that leads down to like I I love that piece of it that he isn't perfect, and he's chopping guys' heads off and throwing them on tables, right? So I think there's a balance that you can strike there. But they're also running into the problem, and I, I've said this before, I think this is why we're seeing so much of Tumor Morrison, is they'd want to separate these two people, these two characters. The Mandalorian wears the helmet, Boba Fett doesn't as much. Mm-hmm. Like He's a guy that they're trying to establish as not needing or wearing the helmet, only in certain situations, because it's more iconic. But I think they're also trying to, to provide some separation with those characters as well, visually, for people. New people coming in, kids coming in, I want the guy with the helmet, that's the Mandalorian. The bald guy, that's Boba Fett, right? Which is a complete flip on what we grew up on with Fett never taking the helmet off, being the mysterious one, and being kind of the badass. And so you can see that the Mandalorian maybe fits the skin of what we grew up with Boba Fett a little better, but they've kind of transformed that character into something a little different and ran with that, and that's the successful piece of it. And to your point about Boba Fett and what it means for season two, I'm not sure if... On Disney Plus, the numbers matter as much. I think it's the retention, right? It's not like the actual eyes on. And they're seemingly setting up this Star Wars cinematic universe because realistically, this episode is the first time we get an actual cinematic crossover, right? We have things that work in prequel fashion. We have nods to the video games or to episode one or whatever, right? Throughout the movies and throughout some of these shows, but this is the first time we have a character from another TV show jumping in to a show, having an impact in some fashion, crossing over, potentially teaming up, and then going back onto his own story. So this is the first time we're seeing that in Star Wars. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there, there's something bigger here that they're constructing, and they're really taking the the MCU path on this one and focusing a lot of effort in there. Because the other shows we have are... Characters with definitive ends. Cassian, we know what happens to him. Obi-Wan, we know what happens to him. Awesome to have, but it doesn't build into this grand narrative that they're constructing. Yeah, like, I I guess that works if you consider Boba Fett to be completely separate, right? But for me, it it kind of spun out and is a bridge to the existing Mandalorian story anyways, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, yeah, I I get what you're putting down. I guess it all depends on where where the show ultimately goes, right? With, with some of the things that they're teasing for the climax of Book of Boba Fett, it could just be kind of like Mandalorian season 2.5 mm. at the end of this all. So 
Um, I guess I, I look at it too as a if you take Mandalorian season two as your Avengers movie, and then the next thing after Iron Man three comes out, right? And it's it's a spin out of something larger because you look at all the characters and everything that was seeded in season two. You've got Ahsoka spinning out, Bo-Katan in some capacity likely spinning out, Boba Fett spinning out, part of a grander narrative, and all kind of interweaving with with each other. That's never been done in Star Wars. The storytelling, the way it's going, where you actually spin out something different, although part of the nope. same story. It's a chapter, right? Book of Boba Fett is a chapter in the grander post Return of the Jedi storytelling narrative, right? It's kind of correct. How yeah, at. yeah, yeah. It, it feels like they're all well. They've already kind of said that all of these shows sort of dovetail into one sort of climactic event series. Mm-hmm. I I even feel like Boba Fett is separate a little bit from that. I see how Mando, Ahsoka, the old Rangers of the New Republic. I see how those shows could connect and feed towards another narrative. Boba Fett with the underworld seems to be a little off to the side. Mm-hmm. Still connected, still have his places to weave in and out but still doing his own thing. And maybe that's intentional so that Boba, maybe maybe that's the way they keep Boba Fett distinct from the heroes where they don't have him battling the classic villains. Mm-hmm. They don't have him going after the remnants of the Empire. They have him a little bit off to the side doing the underworld thing, but with this code of ethics that he's got from the Tuscans. Mm-hmm. Maybe, that, maybe that's the way to do it. Because we have to remember that, at least from what we've heard, is that, Favreau wanted to do a Boba Fett show first yeah, mm-hmm. and was told no. And so what came out of that was the Mandalorian. So I, I, I always think of Din Djarin and Mando as a little bit of, of Favreau's idealized version of Boba Fett. And then exactly along came a green is. light for book of Boba Fett. So they had to kind of find this new angle for this character. Yeah, That's a great point. So I feel like when, if you could in your mind, scrub Din Djarin from existence and parachute in Boba Fett and have all those things happen to him. He falls in love with the Grogu character. He meets Ahsoka, et cetera, et cetera. I wonder if that's the show that in Jon Favreau's mind that he would have done first. Yeah, maybe. That's exactly it. When I think the Boba Fett, I think Boba Fett was off the table because there was a, likely a planned big screen version for that character. And when they decided to invest a lot of storytelling efforts into Disney Plus, that's maybe where Boba Fett turned into less of a cinematic or big screen version and now onto something that we're going to tell a bigger story with. I think it, it works in the context of Mando season two. And I think on paper, this sh- Boba Fett show works in the grander scheme of things. But I, I, we, we've talked about it quite a bit and you've mentioned it here. Kyle, that underwhelming is a word I would use for the show. Yeah, when it like when it hits, like last week, like I, I think the second episode where we spent almost the entire thing in the with the Tuscans, that was some phenomenal stuff. Mm-hmm. Two of the greatest episodes of Star Wars there are. But the some of the other episodes have just they've kind of dragged, they've kind of meandered, and there's it's and they don't really doesn't feel like we're they're going very far with it. They're not telling us enough. And it feels, again, like just stringing us along until they bring us to the end point where, oh, surprise. Now did we get, did we get you now? And it's like, yeah, I guess. Because there was a Hollywood Reporter article, I think, before the show aired. And they interviewed all the big people at Lucasfilm. But Robert Rodriguez, of course, as the showrunner, did so much talking. And they talked about how in every episode there's big surprises and the show way, way, way over delivers. 
and it got us all fired up. So what the what what is what do we have planned here for us? And so far through five episodes, there have been a few surprises. I don't think there's been anything earth shattering. I think everything that came as a huge surprise was probably baked into last week's episode with uh, with the with the starfighter with the Mando himself taking over an episode. Mm-hmm. It's almost like pirate radio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he just kind of swooped in and. I don't want to say save the season, but certainly switch the narrative a bit for a week. Everybody kind of just said, that was awesome. Yeah. Across the board. Well, even like the climax that we're heading to with this big battle between Boba and his allies and the Pikes, it doesn't feel earned. Like you didn't really build to that because you haven't given Boba a chance to build anything with his empire, right? Like he kind of walks down that one street and goes, sees the gal from Flashdance and they have these awkward conversations and then he goes back home, right? But you haven't seen the greater influence of what he's done and what he's doing on the throne to a large enough extent to be cheering for this guy in this big battle with the Pikes that they have coming up. Like he he disrupts their business, so they all show up and it just kind of feels, I don't know, you, you, you don't hate the Pikes because you don't know them. You're not cheering for Boba because you don't know why the heck he's doing what he's doing and it just it it feels like a bit of a missed opportunity like a a little less time spent here and there right like maybe uh cut down your power ranger speeder bike chase and spend that time developing how this guy in Jabba's throne is influencing the community now and how he's better and how we need to embrace Boba Fett coming in and taking that role because these people were oppressed under Jabba, but now they have a chance to live and survive and thrive kind of thing. But we haven't really got those bits. And I don't know. It it just, it feels like there's so much work to do before we wrap well, this yeah, thing and, up. You know, just, just to add to that, Carlos, like I feel like we may not get that answer. I feel like my own theory for what's going to happen here in episode six and seven, I feel like there's going to be a bit of a time jump after episode five. And I feel like in that time jump is where Boba's going to amass his army or wh- whatever forces he's going to pull to his side to fight this battle on Tatooine. That's right. Who, who does he have with him right now that we know of? He's got Fennec, two pigs, uh, Black Chrysanthemum who might help, uh, the, 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 the neutrinos. Surely it's the sand people is his army. That's what I've, the base assumption I've made ever since they started teasing a war like when you say war there's a scale to it that you assume right instead of using the word fight they've been using war which well, they, is, yeah they've said war is coming yeah and so that and that, that would be cool tim like they would i would be all for the tuscans coming to boba's support other than the the tribe he interacted with is dead mm-hmm. and i'm sure in those five years that he spent with them he probably interacted with others but like carl to carlos's point we didn't see that. Mm-hmm. So we can't assume that to be the case. We saw everything else though. <laughs> yeah. Or like maybe you have, you spend time with him uniting the tribes of the Tuscans, mm-hmm. right? Across Tatooine and and him being ingratiated to them or maybe seeing a bit more of a peek into how their culture works and how they bring people in. Because obviously he's not the only outsider because we had that bit in Mando where he's having the conversation with the Tuscans. And I remember that blowing everybody's mind where it's like, oh, they communicate with people and you can you can have a dialogue with them and they'll support you and stuff like that. So yeah, there, there's bits of work that they just didn't do. Mm-hmm. 
and then there's other bits and i think that they did too much yeah with with that where they spent too much time explaining where his armor went or why he looks a certain way in mando season two but that all builds towards these last couple of episodes and and what they're going to do with it i i found that watching episode four and five back to back i found that really got me amped up because they do like the mando theme right at the end of season or episode four Mm -hmm. and realistically you could go probably straight into episode six and have just mando walk through and be like hey i'm here for to help right like did you need that interlude episode like for this season like it doesn't add anything to the boba fett season it just tells you a bit of the backstory of what's going on with with mando and maybe something like that inside of mando season two would have been super effective a lot of the sand people work a lot of the why I look the way I do in this episode work could have been done in a very similar style of episode in Mando season two. Yes, they likely didn't have the foresight that they're going to have a book of Boba Fett other than shooting the stinger and maybe having a title. But it just seems that an interlude usage inside of season two might've been a bit effective and we could have spent more time building out some of what this inevitable war is going to be and how it's going to be fought and why it's going to be fought. I think that's a question that we're all asking a lot. Like, why? Like, why are we doing this? Who is the villain? Why is there a war coming? And who is a part of it, right? We know that the syndicates aren't going to be a part of it. But what's the next step for this? So, so Carlos, what is the next step for these two episodes? What do you feel is going to happen? I'm expecting a major cliffhanger. I'm not expecting this season to end and tie up the Book of Boba Fett. I'm expecting to sit on something fairly substantial that will probably get picked up in another season of Mando or something else, but I don't see this coming to a a clean conclusion. Uh I I don't know. I I think I'm of the mind that they're going to tie off Boba and put him in a position where we'll parachute him in if and when we need him. But uh for now there's not going to be uh, a driving need to carry his story forward. That's kind of where I'm thinking it's going. And that's just based on the presentation of it all so far. Like they mm-hmm. haven't done anything to build up to anything grand and sweeping that we can't um, have dealt with over the course of these two episodes. Like it really feels like just an exercise in him dispensing with the pikes and establishing himself as the ruler controller the power in Tatooine and nobody comes and messes with our planet type of thing mm-hmm. and you know and maybe that's what you do for season two where you have a big bad who wants to take that throne or the huts want to reclaim it or something of that nature but yeah I I don't know I, it's just it's just such a mixed bag for me it's not, it's not that I dislike the show it's just it just seems very um ill-planned for lack of a better term with uh, how they've kind of built this thing and presented it yeah i think we're all sitting in that we don't we all like it but we expected to love it Mm -hmm. yeah we want to like it more yeah yeah we want to like it right you know this none of this this conversation is about tearing it to pieces there's there's lots of really great things about the book of boba fett but i think there was a different set of expectations and maybe that's our own fault but I, I do lay this at the feet of, of some of the writing and construction as well. Um, some of the issues that, that we're having, the underwhelming nature of it. So, Kyle, 
what's next for for this? And then I also want to just spend a little bit of time as to what's next also for our friend the Mandalorian. Where, where do we go in season three there? Well, like I mentioned, I, I feel like there's a, a time gap of some kind mm-hmm. between episodes five and six, which as we record, you know, this is coming out tomorrow mm-hmm. for us. Um, I think that when we get to episode six, at some point, Mando is going to come back in that episode with Grogu. And that would Grogu's be, I, cause I was not expecting Grogu to make a reemergence anytime soon. If mm-hmm. I'm being honest, I don't, you. I, you know, I, who doesn't love that little guy? I, w- I think we all could have done with a little bit of a longer wait. I know my kids are already impatient to see him. As an older fan, I think they should have let that let us suffer longer. Yes. Drag that out until next year for Mando season three, maybe even longer. Mm-hmm. But I think he's coming back. I think it's inevitable. I think they point to that with the little satchel of whatever's in that packet, <laughs> the armor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're teasing that. Star Wars official channels teasing that for episode six. Uh, just the the old astromech port on the N1 now with the dome over top. Yes, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. Like, could you have telegraphed it any any clearer? So I feel like Grogu is coming back in episode six, and they will save the reunion of those two characters for Mando season three. I think they'll be they'll just they'll enmesh those episodes in that way where we won't see Din and Grogu reunite wherever wherever Luke is. Mm. I think we'll see them return in tow to help out with the war on Tatooine. And I, I don't, we saw Din struggle with a dark saber. And I was talking about this last week and I can't get out of, get it out of my head. Din struggling with the lightsaber. The armorer can only take him so far with teaching him how to use it. Isn't Grogu with somebody who might be able to teach Din how to use that lightsaber. Mm-hmm. And doesn't that guy also come from Tatooine who might be interested in what's happening on his home planet. So I'm not saying, Oh, and didn't the body double of that guy make it a cameo in episode five at the end with, uh, in the, in the, uh, X wings above Tatooine. This is all very, so I'm not saying, I'm not saying that Luke's going to show up in episode six or seven, but the pieces are all there and it makes a lot of sense for him to do it. Would they do it again after just, sweeping us all off her feet last year when when luke showed up in in the finale of season two i don't know but i can guarantee they didn't spend all those resources to bring that one scene together to never do it again especially now here where all the pieces make so much sense for luke to actually come back and fight a war on this home planet to help clean it up and to bring around a, a promise made by his dad in episode one to end slavery and kind of clean up tatooine Oh, shoot. That's a great point, too. There it is. Uh, he, I don't know. <laughs> he can bring Cal Kestis with him so he can reclaim BD1. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Because I'm like, it's, you know, when you're outnumbered in a fight, we're, like, I was just asking, like, who's on Boba's side here? They're vastly outnumbered. Who's going to help? And it helps when, if you are outnumbered, at least there's some people on your side that can dispatch large amounts of enemies with a, with a wave of a hand. Yeah. So Grogu's going to be back there doing some of that force magic, but is Luke going to be there too? I, I can't say I, I would not rule it out after what we got last year. That would be pretty wild to see. Although some this of that episode, comes... when it comes out, they'll already know. So either I, I have egg all over my face or I look like a genius. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting because I didn't get the time jump. I just assumed we were going to go straight from 
Fennec showing up and be like, hey, Mando, we kind of need your help. Straight to Mando's here in Jabba's palace. Like, what do you need me to do? I was a little surprised well, he that he says, left. He says, too. I got to go, right? Yeah. He says, first, I have to go visit a, a, a friend. Yeah, but like, it's. So is that him? Okay. Okay. That, yeah. To me, that's him saying, yes, I'm going to help you free of charge, but I got to peace out for a little bit and go visit my buddy. I'll be back. Yeah. Because when that was playing out, I was on the exact same page as Tim was. And then when he says, I'm going to go find my, my pal first, I was like, really? That was surprise. And so that kind of took me aback. So if we do get a cliffhanger in Book of Boba Fett, that'll be what it's to facilitate is Mando season three then with that reunion and then him returning to Tatooine. But I, I don't see it going that way myself. Then you, well, you, and, and, sat, you sacrificed the rest of Boba Fett for that <laughs> reunion, totally. like the whole thing. Yeah. And just to, just to wrap up season one, Boba Fett, I think we're going to get this skirmish on Tatooine. I, the good guys are going to just wreck house. The pikes are going to be cannon fodder. But the tease is going to be the reveal of who's really pulling the strings on the on the pike side of things. All signs to me are pointing to Crimson Dawn and Kira. With, who's you know, who's with presently Amelia. filming on the volume <laughs> Secret <Yeah>. Invasion. <laughs> While you're there, Amelia, do you think you might want to come over, do a, spend your afternoon off, maybe come do a little costume test, some makeup work, and then come back next week and we'll shoot a couple lines. Yeah. Just saying, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like your, that's There's your it. tease. There's your uh, your throne and, Boba Fett scene. And Star Wars, like it, doesn't like, it doesn't like to commit to anything. So if they don't want to do another book of Boba Fett, well, this kind of wrapped up as a cool interlude between Mando seasons and this spins out into something else. It spins out into a Crimson Dawn series featuring Boba Fett. They can just grow it from there and say this was the plan all along. Or they could or they could just continue with Book of Boba Fett. I, I, this is where Star Wars likes to have its cake and eat it too, where we'll see which way the wind is blowing. We'll set it up so that if we want to cap it, we cap it. If we want to keep going, well, the, the breadcrumbs were there all along. Mm-hmm. So interesting. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see where we all land because like you said, when this episode drops, we'll actually have that episode of the Book of Boba Fett in front of us to see really what it's seeding because I think these last two episodes really have to land for this season to be considered an outright success. Super interesting. I love having these conversations. Yes, it wasn't a total breakdown of that episode, but it's a, it is a deeper look at how all this is coming together in the sense of like this much grander story that they're telling. They're starting to really hone in on this era being where they want to spend the time, where they want to spend the money. Because once you get outside Cassian and Obi-Wan, I think everything, if I'm not mistaken, that is officially happening, not announced, but officially happening, is kind of sat in this time frame. Mm-hmm. So Kenobi's a little bit before that. Yeah, and, yeah. I'm talking like outside of those but, two shows. But like forward, like going into 23 and beyond, like where the storytelling is taking place, it seems like you, your Ahsoka probably spin out of rebel stuff sabine i don't know you got all this ezra tease this thrawn tease there's so much there and all seems to be in that arena of this mando post return of the jedi it's gonna be curious to see if they continue to bounce all over the timeline or if they focus in on this era meanwhile i wait for them to come up with the next big ambitious sweeping big screen project i'm telling you not a a spin-off it's this climactic version of what all this is coming to a head tomorrow and that it may be that i won't be blown away if they do that 
honestly. Like, I'll be like, great. I'll I'll, leave, I'll be there first night. I'll I'll probably enjoy it. But I'm waiting for Star Wars to take big swings again. I don't know when that's coming, man. <laughs> I I honestly don't know. I have all the confidence in the world in in some of those creatives and producers, but they seem to have hit a, a bit of a, a creative block when it comes to that big screen stuff. Well, yeah, there's a. I think there's certainly a fear or trepidation of stepping outside of the Skywalker saga. They, mm-hmm. they feel. I think they feel like there's a cash cow to be milked within the walls of the saga. Lots of lore. We love our lore. Let's let's mine it. Let's fill the gaps for as long as we reasonably can before we have to step beyond it. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's. I don't know how long you can do it. Years, at least, but at some point, they need to step out of it. And and do the next big thing for Star Wars. Sink or swim. You gotta think at I don't wanna say think outside the box, but move move somewhere in the timeline and tell the next big story. Yeah, I think they need to do that. I fully agree, but I think that they're satisfied with the story that they're telling right now. This Mando stuff is is working for them. Well oh, for sure. Disney Plus is safer too, right? Like you don't mm-hmm. if you fail here, it's not as much of a a catastrophe is if you have movies that don't work right it's less of a financial investment people are going to be more forgiving because they didn't you know spend x amount of dollars to have to leave their home and go to a theater and all that kind of stuff right so yeah i think it's and, and the a way safe spot the way they're telling these stories too in the cinematic universe style like the mcu does is okay i, I don't love the book of boba fett but mando season three is coming in like nine months and then you get to there and like, oh, shoot, Ahsoka or Obi-Wan or something. You know what I mean? The next thing is almost right there where the film, it's like, okay, this film hit is either a, a wild success or it's kind of eh. And, but I have to wait two years to get to the next piece of it. You know what I mean? Like, it's, so it's, it's the way that we've been taught to consume our favorite franchises right now is at a fever pitch. It's at a pace that we can almost not keep up with. Even DC's moving into that space, not in the same connected universe way, but we're going to get a film every three months from DC coming up here. And Marvel's the same way. We get like six, seven properties a year now. And so like, if you don't like the Moon Knight offering, you're going to get She-Hulk not too long. Then you're going to get Doctor Strange and then you're going to get Thor, right? And so you're moving around and you have the ability to put that behind you. We don't have two years to sit on a film and say, let's tear this thing to pieces. So... It's interesting in that in that context. I yeah, think. and all the details are hidden too, right? Like we don't know the production budget. We don't know mm-hmm. how much spend they put into marketing. So this, nobody can come out and say, oh, they spent uh, $150 million on Book of Boba Fett and then only grossed 98. What a flop. Fire everybody. Mm-hmm. We don't know those details. We don't know how many eyeballs are on it. We just know that Disney Plus as a platform is wildly successful. Mm-hmm. So that's enough coverage or shielding, I suppose, for... Disney and Lucasfilm to continue double doubling down on Disney Plus, at least for the time being. They can just keep on churning it out week to week, month to month. We're there for the ride until at some point we go, okay, that's done. Where's my movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I want to go shove some popcorn in my face in the theater. No, it's true. Well, and it's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because, yeah, Disney Plus needs programming for their service. But if you keep feeding people the same thing all the time, how long before they get bored with it, right? And you do run the risk of this stuff getting disposable. Like mm-hmm. Hawkeye just finished. Who talks about Hawkeye? 
Yeah. Nobody. It's, thank you next. Let's it, bring it on, right? Yeah. So well, that's it. Like, yeah, where's the 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 genre defining the the IP defining stories that set themselves in stone and set themselves in the zeitgeist and we all talk about that thing for years like yeah we don't talk about hawkeye i loved it it's probably my favorite show out of the mcu so far here today gone tomorrow like i watched every episode once i probably won't go back to it not because i disliked it i just said it's my favorite but there's other things there's so much else to get to get into and, and to enjoy yes i mean that's just that's the nature of it now it's just mm-hmm. we're being bombarded daily weekly non-stop and not to mention we have a stack of comic books to read as well and novels to get through video games to play plastic to hunt there's so much of it right it's like the chapter of a book you remember certain chapters you read in other chapters you remember certain pieces right you remember this thing from that chapter and it means yeah. something down the road but holistically as a chapter 30 page chapter you don't remember the whole story so it, it's gonna be i i love talking about this stuff in a a bit more high level because I think it it really helps map out things in our collective brains as to where this could go, right? We're asking all these questions all the time. And I think putting kind of our thoughts to paper, if you will, um, or to audio is is a bit of fun. And I want to kind of continue that that thread and that momentum with, with Star Wars collecting because collecting is a fundamental piece of Star Wars. It always has been. It is the reason that a lot of us out there actually collect. It is what spurred the love for the hunt, what spurred the love for the plastic, as we put it. And Star Wars Collecting itself is in a bit of a state right now. It's it's at, a, I think, a, a pretty similar to, to what we're doing. At, we talked about Meadow. It's at a pivotal time in its what we could call potentially modern era version of itself where the Black Series, I would really say that 2013 and 2014 really marks the modern era of Star Wars collecting, the vintage collection re-emerging and all that. And last week, we had a lot of fun discussing the different scales and why we collect certain things and and how we do and how that relates a bit to the cost and your bang for buck. So if you didn't listen to that, go back and check that out because this is a bit of a sequel to that. And now we're, we're all Star Wars collectors in some capacity. The the passion for it ebbs and flows as films come out, as TV shows come out, as our favorite characters are put to plastic. Uh, and, I, I'm actually just the Star Wars collection financier. Yeah, you say that. You say that, but you buy more Star Wars stuff than I do. I think you actually secretly love it just a little bit. <laughs> that, there could be some truth there. <laughs> but... But really, let's talk about the this where we're at with Star Wars collecting. Um, I think I've vocalized in the past that the expense of it is starting to to hit, and I've pivoted away to collecting. Power of the Force has been a big focus of mine to keep with the Star Wars theme. Episode One figures—they're cheap, they're accessible. I've also gone into other things like Turtles and Ghostbusters and Jurassic Park. And my, one of my mainstays being Marvel Legends. So I have a lot of room to move around here. And Black Series, although it being my prime focus for literally years, I kind of pick and choose now. I usually buy used second mark or secondhand unboxed figures. And the excitement of the hunt for the Black Series has kind of waned for me a lot. And a lot of that goes to, for me primarily, it's just the cost of it. It's It was expensive a couple of years ago, and it's getting more expensive. 
Kyle, on your last podcast, you basically said, you know what? It's probably time for me to move on. I've been hit, being pulled that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 2020, the first year of the pandemic, was a crazy year for collecting. I think they, they released, Hasbro released like 94 Black Series figures that year. Oh, that's oh, my insane. goodness. <laughs> it, was, it was just a tr- ridiculous year. It was one after the other. It was like almost like every week we were getting news of a new wave. And it was, you know, people are at home and they've got nothing to do and this, these sales are being thrown in your face. And so that year was completely bananas. And that, you know, that year figures were $29.99 for us Canadian, 32 at the, maybe at the end of the year and the odd deluxe mixed in. Last year, it started creeping up a bit. And, you know, of course, the pandemic played a role in that with shipping going way through the roof and raw materials going up. So figures started to creep up. $34, $35.90 Canadian, $40 with the tax for a regular figure. Now they're peaking at $42.99 at Toys R Us Jeez. for a regular figure. You're looking at $50 bucks for a regular figure once tax is figured in. Just about. Rolling your, your, your gas and your time. These figures are costing you over fifty bucks a pop at this point. We're on the regular. Cusp, we're on the cusp of another price increase as well. Yeah, there's a, so yeah, you're right, Tim. There, uh, March 2022, Hasbro has said in the press release they are rolling out more price changes, my hikes, I should say. Was the pricing that I saw or have seen at Toys R Us a preemptive strike to that, or is a is that a, a hike? And another hike is coming later this year, Jeez. in a month. I don't know. Either way, about a year ago, when it started getting into the mid thirties for a figure, I started saying, "I I can't do this." Like at tw- these are twenty five dollar figures. Let's be honest, you know, like they're not more than that. But twenty nine ninety nine was the baseline. Most of us uh, sort of swallowed it for a good while. I think they. I think they've been twenty nine ninety nine since Force Awakens came out. Yeah. Yeah, twenty seven ninety nine, twenty twenty nine ninety nine was kind of yeah where they sat. And so that the last year I have slowed down. Mainly, I I feel like I haven't backed away that much because it's taken that long for pre orders to come in. Mm-hmm. Six months, nine months, twelve plus months for things to come in. I'm still sitting on stuff that I ordered in January last year. I still don't know where it is, and neither does does the dealer. And it's like. Yeah, I could cancel it, but that hurts the independent guy too. The only people profiting in this whole thing is is the big box stores who I don't give a rip about and Hasbro. But it's it's just been one sort of kick in the pants after another for collectors during this whole thing. The price hikes, uh, the price of gas is going up. So going on the hunt is a bit of a thing you got to plan around. Uh, you know, even just the availability. Try finding these things. I thought it was a problem with us, but it's everywhere. It's everybody in the U.S. and Canada walking into a store and either getting lucky and finding what they want, which is rare, or coming up empty time after time after time and having to resort to pre-sales or pre-orders to lock in what you want for sure and then hoping it doesn't get canceled, which it does half the time. Mm-hmm. So the, like the, the fun has just been completely siphoned out of the hobby uh, and replaced with frustration and way more expense and it's just like where hasbro has to be watching this like yet they're still piling on the price hikes like they must know that fans are 
just completely out of their minds right now. So what are they going to do? Like, do they, I almost feel like they watch the Ebays and the secondary markets and go, man, look at these collectors paying 60, 70 bucks aftermarket for a figure. We should do that. Well, they tried to kneecap that with the archive series a bit, I think. Have you seen the price of an archive Anakin? Well, no, but I'm assuming 150 bucks. Jeez. Jeez. (laughs) Well, and you, you highlight most of the points here of frustration. Most of the, the, the pinch points for collectors, right? It's the expense, the accessibility and distribution, pre-orders exclusives and what like where do we go from here as collectors like carlos you have a bit of a benefit that your collecting is is a bit niche Mm -hmm. but when you're picking up a figure a 50 45 dollar figure and then you go down the other aisle and you can grab two mcfarlands that are larger come with more accessories and a -a build-a-figure piece Where's the disconnect here? Yeah, one. It's funny that you brought up that example because, like, Christmas time, I distinctly remember, like, I was shopping with my daughter, and she was buying. She found Costco on the shelf, and they had like just a nominal, like, ten percent off sale on the McFarland figures, and I was mocking her the whole time because I was like, I can buy two, literally two McFarland figures, and have enough money in my pocket to go buy coffee on the way out. I was like, just put Costco back. You can just buy me, like, <laughs> you could just buy me Peacemaker and Bloodsport without their masks, and I'll, you know, you can you can get a Slurpee. And she's like, you know, get lost, like, stop making fun of me. And then they had like the Bat Cycle, and it's this big, huge, gorgeous Bat Cycle that has a bunch of moving parts, and it was like twenty eight bucks. And I was just like, shoot. And uh, I was just at Walmart the other day and they had like the Admiral Rampart from the Bad Batch and he was on the peg for $40 Canadian. A six inch figure came with just a blaster. And right next to him was the McFarlane six inch Batman 66. And he was 19 bucks. And so I'm just like, how, how do I justify going deep into the Hasbro stuff when you get so little value for your money? Um, Yeah. And I am lucky. Like my kid is, pretty narrow in what she's getting like with the mando figures it's just kind of it's kind of the the females and anybody who took care of grogu is kind of what she targets and then the she's after the bad batch but she just wants the kind of classic clone force 99 and she's out and then the attack of the clones is unfortunately in full effect on my wallet so (laughs) but Hasbro doesn't release a ton of those guys, so I do get a little lucky with not having to chase a pile of them. But yeah, if if she was all in for buying Black Series figures on the whole or trying to, you know, wave after wave, he's like, yeah, go get a job because I am not financing mm-hmm. these. Because honestly, for me, it, it's hard because I do collect other lines and the value is just not there yeah. compared to what I'm getting out of uncle todd so that's that's where the big one for me is where it's just like it pains me to buy these clone troopers and i'm like shoot for we have like five years worth of clone trooper figures and every single one comes with the same two freaking weapons like heaven forbid you at least toss guys a bone with a few different pieces of gear for these clone troopers but nope well and on top of that like not to mention like 
it's troopers, right? It's the same mold yeah. with a different paint job. And uh, Rampart, it's, I, if I'm not mistaken, it's a Veer's body. It's a Tarkin body. They sculpted a new head. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Like, the the value, like, they're squeezing so much. And it's in a way, it's smart that they're getting so much mileage out of molds and just a different paint job and away you go with a new figure. It's exhausting as a collector. Oh, yeah. Man. And it, where's the where's the novelty? Totally. And a guy like Rampart, he's a boring figure. You didn't even have to pay an actor to get a likeness because he's a computer animated character that was just kind of made up, right? Like maybe maybe you put that guy in just like a two pack with with one of the Bad Batch troopers or something like that and have him at a bit of a lower price or whatever. But no. Well, and, and that's that's it, though, right? It's it's how does this problem get solved right i i this here is is about this conversation it's about establishing what we're all feeling right there's a baseline here that i think most collectors can agree with on where we're at with hasbro and some of the frustrations here and this isn't a bitch session this is let's establish where we're at as collectors for these lines and these are very very common issues that we're all seeing across the board here and i want to touch on a point that you brought up there kyle it's that how can hasbro not be aware of this not be taking the temperature of of the population that is consuming not only their figures but is providing them feedback on a daily basis Mm -hmm. (laughs) in some instances and why is the magnitude of this issue so big with star wars because these Marvel Legends that I collect are the same price, relatively. You, they might be a buck or two off. I don't think they're seeing that $40 price point right yet. But when you go on to retailer sites like Big Bad and Dorkside Toys, they're sold for the same amount, $23.99 US, which we get kind of shafted because of the tariffs and all this kind of crap that gets put on there and the exchange. But it... Why is why is this specific problem seemingly so big? Is it because we're so embroiled in Star Wars? But I feel like I'm on the periphery a bit, but I'm still hearing a lot of this. I, like a lot of long-term collectors have finally hung up the boots and said, enough's enough here. So what does Hasbro do? You know, you got we brought up all of these things, the pricing, distribution, exclusives is a big thing, right? Ugh. These big box stores getting these exclusives. And, you know, whether you're part of the bronze, silver, or gold donors is kind of really dependent on what you get as far as is it a cat or is it sorry is it a rampart or is it a luke skywalker right they're using these to offset margins on the poor selling figures they are trying to drive collectors maybe into the stores to pick up that one figure and then also pick away at the stuff that all the other retailers are getting but but where does hasbro go kyle where does hasbro go from here you know, are we just going to see progressive increases until these are 50, 60, 70 dollars? Like where does the line get drawn? And where do they go back to the drawing board and say, how do we reinvigorate this community? How do we get people on board again with collecting because this was such a, a monumental line this Black Series in 1314 when this came out. And it's ballooned to this 300, 400 figure line, which is absolutely enormous. But the frustration is as loud as I have ever heard it. I feel like it's a point of no return because they just extended their deal, right? And I don't mm-hmm. know how long it is, but these deals are 
they're not it's that's it's not a 20 million dollar deal it's not a 60 million dollar deal these are hundreds of millions of dollars up in the air for these deals disney makes more off hasbro figures than hasbro does mm-hmm. which is crazy when you think about it or maybe it's not I, they, disney makes more off the sale of uh, off movie ticket sales than the theater does so maybe it's not like disney just takes a chunk and with the with the way shipping's going and raw materials are going in a way hasbro doesn't have a choice they have to keep jacking up the mm-hmm. price but we can't keep up collectors can't keep up so and and, and from Hasbro's side, they have to keep pumping it out because they got to be able to to pay the fee. They got to be able to pay Disney these royalties, the 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 licensing fees. It's a very they're they're super complicated deals, obviously, but a lot of money goes from one to the other, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they need us to buy those figures. And it's people talk a big game right now. Like I'm saying, I'm out. Like I'll buy the odd figure here or there. That remains to be seen. You know, I have to go through a whole year of figures on the shelves that I go pass and just let them go and never see them again unless they go on sale, unless I buy them secondary market opened for half the price. Don't know. But I feel like Hasbro is almost in a catch-22, at least with Black Series, where this is the price now. This Mm -hmm. is the benchmark. It doesn't come down because to, to drop the price means either you're failing or the brand is lagging. And I don't think either of those things are going to happen. That would, that's a black eye either way. So I think the price is here to stay. It's only going to go in one direction. And so what they need to do is, like you said, Tim, they have to find a way to reinvigorate collectors. Do they have to find a, do they have to kickstart a new line? Maybe a less articulated six inch line? I think so. I, I honestly think I was looking at this. I, I do listen to some other podcasts and one of them is a wrestling figure podcast. And what Mattel does, they do a basic line and they do their elite line for the wrestlers. So the basic line, lower articulation, less deco hits, uh, less soft goods, these type of things. You get the basic figure. And then your elite line, you get what would be considered the, the black series, higher articulation, better detail. Uh, but the basic series is basically your heavy hitters. You're getting clone troopers. You're getting your Vaders. You're getting Kyle Renz, maybe in some instances, maybe a couple of years ago, but you're getting kind of those big figures. And then you're also sliding in new figures in there as well. But to your point about the, the price and the raw materials, like is Hasbro's margin so razor thin in star Wars that they, like you said, they only have one direction to go. Like, are they making piles of money or are they just making enough to to hold the license and and they're making money elsewhere? I think they're the only ones that can hold a license, mm-hmm. at least in this scale. For the six inch and the mm-hmm. three and three quarter, I think Mattel maybe could do it, but I don't know that they're quite set up for it. I think Hasbro's the only game in town that, that can carry the line. And I, I've said a million times to you guys, like, I, I've... I wish Hasbro didn't have exclusivity at, at these scales. I wish someone else would take it. Reality is probably nobody else can. I don't know if that's true or not. I would, you know what, at this point, I'd be willing to let somebody try. What, why not? But mm-hmm. it's a moot point. There's a, a new contract signed. I don't know how long it's for. Probably another five plus years. Yeah, three at least, I would say. Yeah, so for the foreseeable future, we're in it with Hasbro. And based on what I'm seeing of people saying I'm out or I'm cutting back, 
they, Hasbro has to hope that fans get a big case of FOMO every time they put a figure on the shelf. Otherwise, they're going to get, they're going to be, sales are going to be way down if people stick to what they're saying. So I, I put a poll up in a Facebook group, not mine, in a collector group just today. And I didn't do it because we were going to talk about this, but I didn't want, I wanted to put some numbers to this. But 160 votes came in. One person said that they're going to go full speed ahead, FOMO. They're, they're doing it. 11 people said that they love the hobby, full speed ahead, price hikes be damned. So that's 12 people who are saying, I'm still in. Everybody else has, is either cutting back significantly, I'm out entirely, or cutting back a little. Hmm. That's, you know, so that's like 140, 150 of the 160 votes-ish that are saying that they're cutting back or getting out. And I'm seeing that that getting out, to be honest with you, on the secondary market right now. Your Kijijis, your Facebook marketplaces, even local stores, I'm seeing orange cards, I'm seeing blue cards that you would never see two years ago. Like, I picked up up at Snap Collectibles a Boba Fett, a, a R2-D2 orange card, which are, like, near impossible to find unless you're willing to pay big bucks on eBay. I'm seeing big collections of loose and box figures being dumped on the secondary market right now. And I think that to yeah. me, that's signaling that people are starting to say I'm out. And if I'm not collecting full steam, then do I need all of these figures? And they're starting to, yeah. to, to get rid of them. The sequel trilogy stuff is all popping up. I'm really seeing that. I don't like to be honest with you. I'm benefiting from it as a secondary market collector because I'm getting these, these figures half price opened from what they were or are consistently. And so my collection is, is growing, but it's coming at the expense of other collectors. For sure. And I, I got lucky because I, you know, when the razor crest was put up on Haslabs, I was like, well, I can't, I'm not working. I was laid off during the pandemic a couple of years ago. I was like, I, but I, I'm not, I can't live without the razor crest. So what do I do? Um, I'll sell off some of my black series stuff. And I did that easily. And I was lucky at the time because like the, 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 I guess that's the red line with red series. Mm -hmm. Those, the, the aftermarket prices on those were still pretty high. So I was able to get a lot for them. The bottom has fallen out on that yeah. whole range of figures gone. It's in the tank. <laughs> the sequel trilogy stuff is in the gutter. The spinoff characters are in the gutter, like across the board. The prices of, of black series has dropped mm -hmm. on the secondary market. And that's like now, I, now I've looked towards buying open figures and that's been one of the things that has sustained my collecting over the last year is getting sort of a second life i used to be an inbox guy and over the past year i've transitioned to and mm -hmm. open them open them up yeah keep the, the ones that i that i know are either worth a pretty penny or that i just love the way they look in box i've kept those and i've got like maybe 30 still in box but now i have like 50 opened it's a total inversion for me mm -hmm. and, and that's sort of that's that's that has sort of given a second life to a lot of these figures and stretched out my collecting experience. But I'm at the end of that now, and I'm not going back to to paying forty five fifty bucks for a figure. And so I look to the the, the Farage sales, the Kijijis, and yep. saying, "Hey, if you're if you're going to sell that figure for fifteen bucks, loose, I'm your guy." That's I had the exact same experience, man. The exact same experience. The whole new breath of fresh air into my collecting experience overall when I became an out-of-box collector. And that opens up, like you said, the avenues to go in the secondary market and buy a figure for $15 because it's open. 
Mm-hmm. And it, it was a game changer for me. And yep. that led me down. I do the same thing with Marvel Legends now. And I'm buying some of these figures for a third of retail, literally a few months out from them hitting the shelves. And it's it's made a big difference. But Carlos, before we, we wrap this conversation up and this big really exploration of of Star Wars in general across this episode, what does Hasbro have to do? Like how 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 does the game evolve to where we get back in a space where there's excitement and there's a wide range of participation at retail again for Star Wars collectors. Well, first I got to ask Kyle, which do you love more? Which makes you love your pieces more when you had the inbox thing going or now that you're having them loose and letting them breathe? Well, it's, it's liberating to crack them open Mm -hmm. and pose them and put them on the shelf. And because if, if it's, if the idea in your head is one day you're going to resell these to fund your retirement, which wasn't in my head, but it's always there, right? Like if I want to, cash out on these I, I gotta keep them in box otherwise i won't get that dollar when you cross that bridge and go i don't give a shit anymore mm-hmm. and you open them at least be choosy about it and say i'm gonna these ones i'm gonna open up it it, it gives you a a whole new lease on 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 those toys and you enjoy them in a completely different way and for me it's a it's a blend because i on my shelf i have some figures still in box but they're in, you know in conjunction with open figures and i love the look that it, it that it brings mm-hmm. so that's kind of where i'm at but it's it's the scales have shifted completely mm. yeah no it's tough man like the open box or the mint unboxing it's a cruel mistress and then you you just kind of get to the point if you do it long enough where you're like why am i just storing these for some other mm. schlep to buy them yep. way down the road right? exactly <laughs> yeah well, that was it. It makes it easier to sell them. When I mean, you're like, wait a minute, this these toys have been sitting in a box in my storage room for eight months, ten months, three years. Sell them. Get, either open them or sell them. Mm-hmm. And in my case, selling them was the more prudent choice for space reasons because I wanted to fund the Razor Crest. Liquidate them. Gone. Out the door. But and now my, like, I'm, I'm happy with where my Black Series is at because it's down to the figures I want. It's the characters I want. The inbox figures I have, it's the ones I want. I don't need to chase anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of done. I'm happy with where my Black Series collection is. If I don't buy another one, okay. I want the ones that I pre-ordered. <laughs> I would like for those <laughs> some year to show up. Other than that, you know, show me a Kenobi f- series, a Kenobi figure from the upcoming Disney Plus series. I'll probably spring for that along with the Vader. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to go deep down the well buying like the uh, random droid from episode two. <laughs> the, yeah, the droid from episode two or uh, the, the slightly different sculpted stormtrooper from the Kenobi series. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to. It's it's That's the way Hasbro's kind of sort of pushed the ball for me. Yeah. Well, and yeah. And then to answer your question, Tim, where do they go? Uh yeah, you know, like Kyle has me kind of feeling sorry for Hasbro because I do feel that they're being squeezed by Disney on one end and then squeezed by the retailers or pressured by the retailers saying, mm. give us things that we can actually sell. And uh, like you go to the stores right now and it's not a good position to be paying this premium for a license to have committed to your retailers that you'll give them product that they can move. 
but yet the pegs are absolutely jammed with stuff that like I literally had a conversation with the manager of our GameStop saying like, man, how are you going to sell these Eternals figures and the Rogue Squad, the Rogue One figures? Because you've sold like eight of these things in the last two months. And one of those months was Christmas. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know, man. So I, I do kind of feel bad for them, but I kind of like what you're saying about having that baseline that is always on the shelf that you can always start a collection with. And I kind of put my head to something that some of the statue companies were doing where they would always have Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman available. Mm -hmm. They would always have them. They would always have the proper scaled uh, statue for those characters. And I remember talking with some of the production guys and they were saying, yeah, we will always have those. And people complain about the edition sizes on them but we did not make those ones to be super collectible. We made them as to be those uh, cornerstone pieces in a collection. So then we can release Bane and Poison Ivy and Two-Face and all these other characters that people will are now open to buying because they know they have Batman. Like nobody wants a collection. And I actually had it for a bit where it's like freaking Poison Ivy was the biggest statue in my collection because she was the one that shipped first. And it's kind of it's kind of like nobody wants to be in that position, right? So if Hasbro kind of moves to a system where they will always have the base level troopers that people want, they'll mm-hmm. always have kind of your Vaders and your favorite version of Luke available, and maybe have those guys at a cheaper price point that's more accessible. And then if somebody wants to do a Jabba's palace scene, they know that they can snag their Jedi Luke and they can snag their Leia and then kind of build out those other characters around that that might be uh, worthy of touching that higher price point type of thing. And then they can do things like the retailer exclusives, which like I personally find very frustrating, especially with how they're rolled out and then the accessibility across borders and stuff like that. But, um, you know, if you're to keep with the Jabba's Palace thing, maybe you have Bib Fortuna available at a Walmart, but then you do your rollout kind of like McFarlane and NECA Toys does, where it's like, yeah, take the pre-orders and let us know how many we need to make, as opposed to this mm-hmm. massive steeplechase for eight minutes where people are fighting with brass knuckles and short knives to get a pre-order in that we may or may not be able to fulfill because we didn't know how many that we needed to make in the first place. Like, no, like as frustrated as I get with exclusives, like at least with those other companies, they keep them open for a while and people are well-informed. They have avenues for international collectors. So I know NECA sometimes. Yep. And I've done it many times. Yeah. The turtles figures. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, if you don't have a U.S. address and you want this Walmart exclusive, here's our international site, and it's available there, and it's available for a reasonable amount of time, right? Yeah, and, and Hasbro did start to do that with some of the shared exclusives where they made them available for a time on their website. Um, but, yeah, it's I, I, it's so interesting because, like, even, like, your thing, it's, like, your Star Wars top picks, like you were saying there, right? Yeah. Like, something like that needs to be available to everybody. So that you don't have to go and pay eighty bucks for a Vader because they haven't released a Vader in five years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those are cornerstones of your collection. Or did, like Captain Rex, right? One of arguably the most popular, quote unquote, expanded universe characters from like the 
the animated series, it's like him and Ahsoka, shoulder to shoulder, the most popular characters that never appeared in live action stuff. Impossible to get forever. And then when they do bring him out again, he's an exclusive. And luckily, mm. Uncle Tim had the magic touch <laughs> after uh, the Nerdier resolutions to put one in the collection. But it's like a guy like that shouldn't be impossible to get. Mm-hmm. Clone Wars Ahsoka shouldn't be impossible to get. Anakin Archive shouldn't be a $150 figure. Mm-hmm. And you have to look at it this way, I think, almost opposite to what the exclusives are, right? They use those to drive <clears throat> collectors or purchasers to a certain store so that you pick at the base figures. But flip that around and say, no, we're going to have a Vader figure that's always going to be on the pegs. That's where people are going to go, oh, there's a 1999 Vader here? Cool. I want to start my collection with this. I can build out that, and then maybe I'll start to get into the higher-end stuff. Take Mm -hmm. the hit on the Vader to benefit from the volume that you're going to get out of a collector down the road. Totally. Or do something like a Stormtrooper. Or like Target yeah, yeah. with their asinine way of, old. <laughs> yeah, of rolling out their G.I. Joe stuff. Like you did this whole promo with like your logo morphed into the Cobra insignia. Instead of having your employees essentially stockpiling them and hoarding them and literally selling them out off the back of the trucks, just have, like you said, these are the Viper Troopers and you can only buy them at Target, but we will always have them. Yeah, And exactly. we have cases and cases and cases of them. But that's also a figure that people don't want just one of. You want two or four or 15 or 50 mm-hmm. and just have them there, right? Like, it seems like they're not being smart about things. Like, the 212 Troopers should not be a Walgreens exclusive that I cannot buy. Mm-hmm. Like, those should be something that are all over the place. And then if you want to make Commander Gree a Walgreens exclusive, and, and I'm kind of embarrassed that I know all these clone troopers by name, but <laughs> I don't know what's happened in my life. But uh, stand proud, Carlos. <laughs> that's, that's I'm proud of you, buddy. Word. He's here. I told you. He's like, oh, I don't actually collect. <laughs> I <don't> agree. And... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, like I think just be smarter about it and then you won't frustrate the heck out of your mm. more casual collectors. And then your hardcore guys that are chasing every single thing are willing to maybe pay the premium once in a while. But uh, like, I'll, I'll be the first one to put up my hand. Like exclusives is exactly why I got out of collecting Batman figures back in the day. Because mm-hmm. I collected inbox everything until Mattel really ramped up their exclusives. And then I was just like, forget it. Because mm-hmm. I'm not paying like a premium for a six inch figure that I can never actually tangibly play with. Mm-hmm. type of thing right so yeah and and to even to that point about a, a differential in price like something that marty does up up at our local comic book shop is depending on the wave like he'll charge more for the harder to get figure like mm. if there's a one per case figure he'll charge like t- like 34 dollars for it but then the two per cases and all that are 28 dollars. they're basically cost yeah what he charges for those and so he sees a differential he makes it up by getting the exclusive essentially figure by charging a little more. And that's kind of the essence of it. But what you're benefiting on the back end of it, right, is cheaper overall figures. And so there seems to be a scheme here, I think, that that Hasbro really needs to think about the approach. Yeah. And the manufacturers can do it because I had a conversation with a, a GameStop manager because the Batman figures were a couple dollars more expensive. And he said that McFarlane price those ones because they had to pay a higher licensing fee because of the actor's likenesses. Mm -hmm. 
those are the only ones that are slightly more expensive because they came in a box and like I bought the reverse flash and I was like, how come he's 26 comes out of the same box and this one's 30. He's like, yeah, McFarlane actually went through the effort of pricing the figures that cost him more to make more, but not doing it just a blanket across all his lines Mm. because he was cognizant about not passing that on to the consumer. So as a guy who collects his stuff, I super appreciated keeping the extra five bucks in my pocket when Mm. I was buying a figure that wasn't one of those. Yeah. And so that comes down to what Kyle's saying is almost the culprit might be the Wars licensing fee (laughs) and razor thin margins for Hasbro being the middleman in a lot of this in between Lucasfilm and Disney and us. And you know, they, I think ultimately, and you know, I said I wouldn't be the apologist, but ultimately Hasbro is also a business. You know, they're not here to give us figures to make them so we can have sure. them, right? It's still a business at the end of the day. Yeah. And anyone that's part of any sort of business knows that when your margins are razor thin and things like shipping containers going up exponentially over the last couple of years erodes most of your profit, you have to change something. And that is going to get dumped on the consumer at the end of the day. Every time. Yeah. Every single time. And that's the, that's the, the pickle they're stuck in. Mm-hmm. They so, have to deliver to Disney or they're going to get their heads chopped off. They'll lose the license. And, uh, like arguably the, one of the, the most, you know, the best license to have, the most profitable license to have. Right. Yeah. You can, the, you can mine forever on that. And yeah. And so Hasbro is what happens if they lose it. Right. Yeah. Like, and remember those hyper real figures a couple years ago? Yeah. They tried that eight inch scale. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody bought it. Mm-hmm. And yet Black Series price is creeping up halfway now. That was to a hyper real figure. $44.99, if I'm not mistaken, was what they were originally at. No, they were more than that. Were they more than that? They were, Maybe that's the they sale were price n- I'm seeing. <laughs> that was the blowout price. Yeah. I, I think they were 89 or 99 at Toys R Us when they first dropped. Hmm. And they got discounted down to like 79. Hmm. It was insane. It was, I, I don't know where they go, man. It's tough. And it, we haven't, we haven't, we didn't talk about vintage collection. Mm-hmm. Even that is starting to get towards, you know, some of the, uh, the carbonized figures were 25 99 oh. Canadian for a three and three quarter figure. It's insane, man. And they've done away with that five POA because no one bought it. And I'd be interested if I'm being completely honest with you, if they were to come back with a five POA throwback line, because I think what killed that line was rogue one and the last Jedi, because mm-hmm. that's where they stopped. Cause I collected all those five POA figures and I ended up picking them yeah. up for mm-hmm. four and five bucks a piece at buck or two or dollar M or whatever it was yeah, to finish of off those collections. But was it the films that killed that line or was it the five POA is my question on that one. And if they I brought back just a five POA dra- like, I- throwback to the power of the forest, and started doing Mando figures in that style, five POA for eleven bucks a figure. Yeah, well, get rid of the trappings of the retro line, right? Like so. Yes. Cool figures done in the old Kenner style, but you're also paying a premium for the old vintage look. Mm-hmm. Just give them a, a new design, a new rebrand. De- do the give them a proper detailing and deco, but at five POA and throw them on the pegs at twelve ninety nine. Make it easy for mm-hmm. kids to get into collecting because in 15 years from now, when the three of us, are we still going to be buying this stuff at the pace we are now? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. 
what they're going to need is the next generation of kids to come up ready to collect, ready to spend. And they're not doing squat. There's mm-hmm. no line for engage. them right now. Like there's, I think well, there's the, some of that tyke line or whatever it is. The, there's the mission fleet. Yeah. Um, there is, there's, you know, they had galaxy of heroes, I think. And they, they had the, the taller mm-hmm. dolls for girls. They've tried. I'll give them that. They've tried to, to pique the interest of kids. Maybe it's just an inevitability, right? Cause kids, I don't know that, that they're playing with action figures the same way that we did. Maybe. I don't know. It seems like my kids, as much as they love their action figures, more often than not, they'd rather stick their face on a tablet. Yeah. Mm. But there's, but there's at that still at that point, there's no avenue in for young new collectors that is reasonable, right? There's no power of the force line right now. Like there's no. Right now, no, there's not much. Where you can there's, get a yeah, bunch of figures. Like, and I'm collecting and going back and collecting the Power of the Force. There's like 10 bucks a piece, five bucks a piece. And that's just a consequence of overproduction and, you know, no one wanting them, which I think is going to change. But that with that 5 POA line dying with The Last Jedi, there's there's nothing out there. There's nowhere you can buy a a traditional Star Wars three three quarter inch figure for less than $15. Yeah. For that no, $11, $12 it. price point. Because that's oh. what those ones sat at. And I love that line, that 5 POA line that they did for Force Awakens. I have every single single pack figure. Every single Rogue One one. Every single Last Jedi figure. Yeah, just do them well and give kids something that's reasonably priced, but also looks cool on their shelf and is mm-hmm. kind of, you know, fun enough to play with, right? All, all this articulation. There's no there's no nine-year-old who's putting Kylo Ren in some funky pose and mm. putting him on his shelf, right? It's just straight up and down with the lightsaber sticking straight out. Like that's the five POA Kylo Ren is an awesome figure. Yeah. Awesome. It's one of my favorite from that entire line. Well, and to be honest, that's what you do. You do a five POA rise of Skywalker three and three quarter inch line. Cause that's the only movie that never got that treatment. Yeah. Right. And that was baffling. Well, yeah, to pull the plug on that line. Man. Then. It yeah. was the worst. I had the, like a whole section of the the room ready for those figures, and they never came. Yeah, there's there's demand for it. Don't go too crazy. Like do the character, like your main characters, just to test it out. And and Mando, yeah, dude, did two waves, a Mando and a Rise of Skywalker wave, and see where it goes. Or, Invite collectors back in with that. Yeah, or do twelve figures, right? Like four mm-hmm. Mandos and eight Rise of Skywalker yeah. ones, and see what happens. Fancy new line, give something a breather, maybe shove retro collection for a minute. And... Yeah, retro, I'm out of that. <laughs> but but guys, we've explored a lot in the last hour and a half in Star Wars. And I'd like us to, this episode is going to run long because this has been a, a, I've had a ton of fun with this conversation. But I do want to get into what we're actually collecting. So we're going to put a pin in this conversation, this exploration of, of Star Wars in a much deeper and different way than I even had expected when we put this outline together and so we've gone down a lot of different avenues and something i want to pick up maybe a little bit down the road see what happens see if hasbro listens to us <laughs> or maybe i'll throw this podcast right at them and see what happens but but let's get over to it let's let's talk about what we picked up this week what we actually got into what we de-stressed a little bit with in our week in nerd All right, Kyle, you're familiar with this segment where we talk about what we're watching, what we're reading, what we're collecting, how we're we're addressing that that internal plastic anxiety that we all have from time to time. So break it open here, man. What did you get up to 
collecting wise, man, like it's, it's pretty flat for me. Like I haven't, like I've said, I've, I've sort of the new lease on life by opening figures and, and enjoying them in that way. New acquisitions have been low. Like I think I got a bunch of stuff before Christmas and that's about it. Like I haven't bought anything in 2022. Uh, so collecting in that way is, is like I said, we talked about it all, all night, but it's fading a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and more of my attention has gone into comic book collecting. Excellent. Yeah, I love you. And you guys, I love listening to this, how this slow and steady funny. transition over the last year or two. We, Corey and I have been collectors since we were children. And I'm sure it's not, that's not crazy for anybody listening. We've collected something, whether it's comics or hockey or baseball cards, Star Wars figures, you name it. We've always been a collector of something. Uh, so as as Hasbro has sort of pushed me away, I have fallen backwards into the first thing I collected, which is comics. Awesome. And that has been so much more gratifying. And it's swimming with sharks. Like, I'm not <laughs> yes. going to... There's no kidding around in that in that arena. But I stay in my lane. I look for the things that stick out to me. And so... And I focus down. I took inspiration from you guys with, like, the nerdier resolutions. and And finally, this year making goals concrete and saying, these are the things I want. And I'm not, I'm going to let anything else outside of that focus slide by and I'll revisit another time if I need to. So my first goal of the year was to get the, uh, the single issues of the empire strikes back adaptation. Mm -hmm. I never had them before. Very cool. And, um, I'm five of six down already. Nice. And they're all a super nice shape that which which was important to me. I could have bought ratty ones, but part of the fun is to sort of hunt and and haggle and mm-hmm. see what you can get out there. And so I'm I'm thrilled with what I've been able to find. And so the next thing is issue 42 from Star Wars, which is Boba Fett's first appearance, which is going to make me really bite a very big bullet. Is that the yellow cover? No, that's 68. Okay. It's the one, 40, is it 40. the lineup of the Bonnie Yeah, Hunters? you've got, um, yeah, you've got Bosk and Boba in the center and Dengar on the other side. It's black mm-hmm. background with the white circle. Yeah, yeah so that's that's the, what's next. That's next on my in my sights. But I'm in no rush, right? Like, I'm not going to dive headlong into that comic because guess who's got a Disney Plus show going right now driving prices up? <laughs> yeah. The Mandalorian? So, <laughs> that's issue 68 again. But I will sit back. I will wait uh, if I have to, and you know if prices will come back down, and then maybe I'll I'll find a sweet deal, and I'll always jump on a sweet deal, whether it's tomorrow or six months from now. But that has been my focus, That's and awesome. I'm loving it. And my the other the other thing that I'm sort of keying on is uh, uncanny uncanny X Men from issues 100 to 300. Cool. And boy, let me tell you, that is gonna bankrupt me <laughs> especially as you get from like sub 140 down to 100 that's that is rough waters but even that just filling in some of the gaps like finding stuff in the 200s the low 200s that i collected as a kid that i lost over time and now i'm getting back again to have those little slices of, of pop culture history back in my collection and just to flip through those pages again and read Chris Claremont's overwordiness has been <laughs> so much fun. I've I've loved that aspect of it, and 
that has that has siphoned away all my love and attention from Hasbro. If mm-hmm. they want to ask me what happened, I'll say, you stink, and comics from my past do not. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And, and I think it goes to the point, and I know we've mentioned it a few times in here, the ability to pivot. And so, which means opening up your focus. <laughs> but when you're tired of one line, you can kind of switch over and, and hang out over here for a little bit. And and it's I think it's like anything in life, right? You want everything, you know, you don't you don't want so much of one thing. You kind of have everything in moderation a little bit. Is your ability it, to jump I think over. it was Oprah Winfrey, right? She said you can have everything you want, just not at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think she said something to that effect, where yeah, you can have it all, just not at one, not yeah. all, not all at once. Yeah. Take your time. <laughs> Take your yeah. time. All right, man. I, I love that. I love hearing the. the no, it's been fun. The comics, you know, it's something that I've gotten out of over the last like five years but that's really where i got deep into collecting again was uh, comic books kicked a lot of it off before i really got back into action figures and all that and it's funny that Corey and i both got into it roughly at the same time but we didn't talk about it we didn't say lay you think you want to go back into comics we just sort of like one day had a conversation not on the podcast and we're like you're, <laughs> you're back into comics me too like i just got back into it. he's like yeah me too i just got back into it it's awesome what? <laughs> Corey sends us DMs every once in a while. What do you think of this? What do you think of this? It's a lot. Of... He's a madman. He's an absolute madman with uh, this stuff. I love him, man. I his basement must be just filled with bins of stuff. <laughs> his basement, our parents' basement, my our parents' crawl space, my house for a while. It was uh, yeah, Corey, that the, is amazing. Uh, every the world is his storage locker. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. How about, how about you, Carlos? Man, what you get up to this past week? You and I, we kind of jump headfirst back into collecting after taking most of the month off. We've now hit a new month here. Or we're going to, and yeah. geez, what's 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 been on tap for you? Uh, the attack of the clones on my wallet continues, my friend. <laughs> um, yeah, I, like I, I kind of told the story over the last couple of weeks, like. You land in that grail of Rex and then the custom shock trooper that I put together. But, um, yeah, and it was just by sheer fluke. I absolutely wasn't hunting anything, but I I was just kind of waiting on a phone call or whatever and had, like, a notification on my eBay app that I just went to clear. I haven't been on eBay for a while. And I go to clear this notification, and then, like, lo and behold, I find, like, a phase one clone trooper and then a phase one clone lieutenant that I didn't even know was a thing. So I kind of talked to the kid and she's like, ah, that one's cool. Like see what can happen. But, um, I noticed that the seller was in Calgary. And so I ended up messaging him saying like, Hey, could we actually meet up? I'm interested in these two figures. And by the time we ended up negotiating things, I ended up getting them for like, I worked it out. It was 30 cents less than what retail would have cost me had I found them swinging from the pegs, these two figures. So yeah, I went and met this dude. And then uh, as he pulls up, he's like, Oh, I got to ask you. He's like, why are you buying star Wars figures? I noticed your eBay username. He's like, are you into Batman? And so we get talking and he was a cool dude with lots of history and like uh, lots of overlap in the folks that we knew in the kind of Batman and comic art community here in town. So like, 90 minutes later, I finally uh, drive away with my my Where figures in hand. But uh, yeah, I ended up landing those two figures for the kid and then uh, just heading over to the local. And like you said, dumping collections. He must have bought a collection recently. And for 25 bucks, I found a proper uh, uh, 
501st Ahsoka trooper on the peg for, and he had it just for 25 bucks. He's like, the box is open. Are you okay with that? And I was like, oh yeah, the box is going in my recycling bin pretty quick after I get home, man. So yeah, I'm definitely good with that. So yeah, three more clones attacking my wallet this week, but uh, yeah, the prices end up being right and in the case of the Ahsoka one, quite the deal. But the uh, the big bomb is uh, this guy right here. The year two McFarlane Batman. Oh, you got it. In all its glory. Ooh. And man, all praise, all thanks goes to our boy, Jared. Ah, Big uh, J. Big J. He, he hooked it up. He sent a care package to Troy's house and then uh, Troy ran it over to me and man that figure is just freaking glorious glorious like for the longest time just seeing it online and in our friends collections and stuff i was happy like it was just like oh, okay that's cool it exists and some of the bros have it and i'm good to wait to see if and when gamestop up here gets it i, I think between troy and i we got six on pre-order so <laughs> at least two have to come through right but uh just nothing, nothing. And then, uh, yeah, when, because Target had so many issues with their pre-order, Uncle Todd said, like, I was able to manufacture. He had, like, exact numbers of how many he was doing and how many he was able to sign. He's like, yeah, I'm throwing up a pre-order again. And so Daddy Bats, I I got him the line on that. And, yeah, our man Jared, he was, he was thinking of me. He just sent me a message. He's like, dude, I got to get this thing for you. It's like, ah, yeah, don't, don't worry. He's like, nope, don't, uh, I'm not going to put up with any of your malarkey. That guy put in the pre-order for me, got it to his house, flipped it. And I had it here within probably five days uh, of him getting it. And, uh, man, I'm so happy that he kind of pushed me into the end zone there with this thing. Cause I just love it. Like, and I've rearranged like my, this only mean anything to Tim whoever's listening to the show, but like on my landing where I kind of got the bat fam going on, oh, I've kind of nice. rearranged them going to have him on there. And it's just like, it, it is a sight to behold. Like the fact that he put out that crazy bugger, like this figure with this absolutely massive, like the thing's like over a foot long Cape, isn't it? I think it's over a foot. Like it's just, it's <laughs> ridiculous, man. It, like I couldn't believe how big it was when, when Troy brought it to the house, but uh, yeah, it's just cool. And like, Jared can't thank you enough, man, for, for hooking that up. So he's, he's going to, I kept him in the box. Just, I didn't want to be fumbling him around when I did the big reveal on the show, but uh, yeah, he's going to be out and gloriously nice. flapping year two style. I love it. I can't wait to see some, uh, some images of that. It's, it's definitely a glorious figure from what I've seen. And <laughs> what a, what a, what a story. I love that, man. That was a nice big reveal for us this evening. That's so cool. Oh man, I don't have much to top that, guys. It's you guys have had a pretty exciting few weeks. I've, you know, I, I've been on the legends hunt again, and it's been about the secondary market, like we discussed with the Black series. I have uh, a local Marvel Legends whisperer, I like to call him. Every so often, he <laughs> fires me a text or a DM and says, "Hey, bro, what's up?" And I say, "Ah, it's good. What's going on?" And my wife's like, "Why are you texting this person?" I said, "Don't you just wait." And so he's, he's trying to get me to buy some Black Series. There's nothing I really want. Then he sends me this lot of Marvel Legends. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why didn't we start with this? <laughs> and so I ended up getting the exclusive Walmart exclusive Thena. Uh, no, sorry. That's the Toys R Us exclusive Thena from Eternals. Walmart exclusive Unmasked Spider-Man from No Way Home. 
and also the Toys R Us exclusive Mobius from Loki. <clears throat> All are $36 plus figures. I had him snagging them for about 17 each on That's average. Awesome. So about 50, 50% for all these exclusive figures. They were loose. They're unboxed. That's usually how I buy my figures from him. But it was awesome to get those three exclusive figures that I've been sitting on on purpose. I've had seen them all in retail. And so I'm not paying 36 bucks for Thena. I'm not paying 36 bucks for Mobius or wherever it is, 34. So I'll wait for these to go on discount or find them secondhand. And luckily enough, I, I got them and whipped down there. We had some uh, good fun discussing figures in that. And I came home and that completes the 2021 new film, new show release, single packed figures for me for this year. So I got every single new one released. Uh, all the Eternals, all the Shang-Chi, all the No Way Home, and of course all the Disney Plus stuff. So I was happy to get those wow. those three into the collection. And most of the, a lot of those figures I bought or I got on trade. The only figures I paid retail for were the Disney Plus wave. Yeah. Did you do what if as well? All of it? I no, not cap. The, not not the what if. I got the zombie cap, but I don't. I'm only doing live action MCU for now. Um, that's kind of where my lines drawn a bit there. But I did get the zombie cap. Yeah, I had to buy that one. <laughs> you sweet. Well, and you have the leg from the Watcher that came with exactly. Spider Man. Exactly. I do have the leg. It looks like a Barbie <laughs> leg, actually. <laughs> and then the only other thing did I? You go up over to our Instagram at the NerdRM. You can see the new lights I installed on my large shelves that are that sit behind me, or at, the, at least on the corner here on the records. Um, I put some lights up, some LED strips along the shelf, and I've got it all illuminated with blue, green, red, and whatever other color you can make out of those. So I had some fun playing with that and getting some lighting and going to my nerdier resolution as well, going back to those, just talking uh, or, or exploring, kind of accentuating the collection a bit more with lighting and and uh, and how I'm uh, rearranging things here. So I was pretty happy to get that. So go over there and you can check that out and kind of see what I've, what I've pulled together there. So... All in all, guys, this was a great episode. Kyle, always love having you on the show. It's always a blast. Please take a moment here and let everyone know what where they can find you and where they can find everything that you're putting out there in the in the Star Wars space. Well, uh, well guys, I, I can't say it enough. I love being here. Love talking all things, anything, whatever it is. We can talk about anything mm. you want. I would love to be here and talking about it. Uh, I'm, I'm at Tumbling Saber on Twitter. You can find our podcast on, on your platform of choice. Currently thinking of converting it to a Peacemaker podcast because, man, yes. this show yes. is stoking the flames, man. Yeah. Maybe we that, need to do a rap episode all together. I think so. Oh, man. That show is – and I don't know anything about the character. I don't – other than what I know from the show and from Suicide Squad 2, those, that's literally all I know about the character. But that show, it's got to be one of the best comic book TV shows, not just going now, uh, ever. Yeah. It's that – cool to me it's funny it's heartfelt it's it's so good i'm i'm loving the hell out of that show and they just just has anybody skipped those opening titles just once no i no. watched them sometimes twice <laughs> it's it's ridiculous only james gunn can do this kind of stuff and it's so rewarding it's so much fun if you're not watching it you gotta check it out yeah man who would have thought that we'd be uh talking about a show that name drops matter eater lad but here yeah. we are <laughs> <laughs> so good so good we're definitely going to be wrapping these up we got a couple more episodes i think till that one gets up and make sure you guys go over and follow kyle and tumbling saber um you can go back and get a bit deeper dive into the nuances of 
the episode five of the book of Boba Fett. And surely you guys are going to be doing a lot of rap stuff on, on that as we come to a close here over the next two weeks. And like I said, always a pleasure to have you here. And for us to wrap it up, of course, if you want to be a bigger part of these conversations, you can always email us at the nerdroom at gmail.com. You can find everything we do over the nerdroom.net. The hunt is real and it's over on Instagram at the nerdroom. You can see a bunch of pictures of what we're looking, both myself, Troy, Carlos, and Ian all contribute to that page. And so you can see a little bit of a window into what we're doing each and every week and what we talk about for the most part on the show here and Twitter. That's where you can find us for the most part. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd or you can find our handles at the end of the episode. So with all of that being said, guys, for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. I'm Batman. I'm Kyle. And thank you guys so much for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, Sanjabi, and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from The Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.